Today's episode is presented by Early Bird. Early Bird is the simplest way for parents, family, and friends to collectively invest in a child's financial future starting at the earliest age. Early Bird's mobile app empowers parents and families to start saving for their child's financial future in a matter of minutes, while activating a child's broader community to gift contributions on birthdays, holidays, or any occasion. Christian, I know saving for my child's college education can be stressful, especially wanting your child to have the best opportunity available. That's why we're teaming up with Early Bird to give our listeners a free $15 investment to give to a child you love. Simply go to partners.getearlybird.com io slash podcast or the link in our show notes download the app and create an account today early bird build the nest and invest in the children you love nerds it's time to suit up and nerd up launching badass rockabilly track now completely altering your hero backstory time to save the world with some wrestling video games movies horror and more launching ans in three two one. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, before we get started this week, we have another giveaway. That's right, listeners. This week, we're giving away Blu-ray copies of A Quiet Place Part 2. To enter, all you have to do is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite provider and DM us a screenshot over at Amazing Nerd Show on social media. And of course, current subscribers, we don't want to leave you guys out. To reward you for your loyalty to the show, all you have to do is send us proof of your subscription and we will automatically enter you to win. Held by critics and audiences around the world, the biggest thriller of the summer, A Quiet Place Part 2, is now available on 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and digital. Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, and Jaman Hansu, the terrifying suspenseful thriller A Quiet Place Part 2 comes with exclusive bonus content featuring director John Krasinski, who takes viewers deeper into the world of A Quiet Place. Also, you can experience the whole Abbott family saga with a two-movie collection available exclusively on Blu-ray and digital. Rated PG-13 from Paramount Pictures. Again, if you would like to be entered for a chance to win A Quiet Place Part 2, send us a DM over on either Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram of your subscription to the show. But hey, Damon, speaking of the show, what are we talking about this week? This week we'll be reviewing Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins, and we'll be talking the latest episode of The Bad Batch. And we'll also be taking a stab at some wrestling with AEW's Fight for the Fallen. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first up this week, a big MCU star files a lawsuit against Disney. So it looks like Marvel's Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson has filed a lawsuit over the film's release on Disney+. Plus. A new report claims that Johansson filed a lawsuit in a Los Angeles court today, alleging that Disney breached her contract for Black Widow when it released the film both in theaters and on Disney Plus premiere access. Scarlett is claiming since her pay for Black Widow was heavily based on the box office performance, the Disney Plus release is actually cutting into her profits for the film. 
I mean, I could also guarantee you that this is not going to be the last lawsuit of this nature to be filed by an actor, especially with so many studios making the decision to go to streaming services due to the pandemic, which just caught many off guard. I mean, it's smart for the actors to get in front of this now because you don't want another situation like what's going on with the music industry, where artists really are getting the short end of the stick when it comes to the streaming side of things. So I'm hoping this all gets resolved quickly and it won't affect her working relationship with Disney, regardless of what the future holds for the Black Widow character. Well, I hope, you know, Scarlett has, you know, some friends behind her or something because Disney did a press release pretty much saying this, this has no merits. This lawsuit is bullshit, uh, which, which is definitely not the road I thought they're going to take. <laughs> She's going to need the Avengers, apparently. So, um, yeah, apparently we're in for a battle. <laughs> Goodbye, Black Widow. Well, it looks like John Watts' comments about anyone coming back is uh, going to come to an end real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least for the, you know, near future, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> but hey, speaking of Disney, we got an official first look and release date for Hawkeye. So yes, finally we got a release date for Hawkeye. It'll be hitting Disney Plus on Wednesday, November 24th, just in time for Thanksgiving. Uh, also, Disney Plus shared a new look at the show, which features Bishop and Clint meeting in what looks like a training area of some sort. I mean, it's nothing really groundbreaking photo-wise. I mean, it's pretty on par with what we've got with all the leaked photos. Uh, now, hopefully soon we'll get a premiere date for Miss Marvel. I'm just wondering since they announced Announce this first if Miss Marvel is going to end up being an early January 2022 release. Yeah, I was surprised to see it coming out, um, you know, in late November. We had seen reports about it coming out in November in general, but a lot of those, you know, rumors and ideas were thinking that it would be at the early side of November in general. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess hopefully we'll get some Miss Marvel news soon. Well, all right, Sony's Craven the Hunter movie reportedly casts another Spider-Man villain. So according to a report by the Luminarity, Craven will be joined by his longtime ally Calypso in the film, with actor Jodie Turner-Smith reportedly the top pick to play the character. Turner Smith has been making a name for herself on shows like Last Ship and Jet and uh, films like Queen and Slim. Uh, no additional details on the casting process or how the character would factor into the film has been revealed. Uh, what we do know is the film will be directed by J.C. Chandor and stars Aaron Taylor Johnson as Craven. The film will hit theaters January 13th, 2023. And we got a story about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special being required viewing. So according to writer and director James Gunn, the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will be essential viewing for fans planning to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. In an interview with Collider, Gunn was asked for information he could reveal about the show. And he was quoted as saying, you know, it's canon. Uh, he said, it's about the Guardians. You're gonna learn stuff that you need to learn before you see volume three and it's great i'm really really happy with it i'm using a lot of the same sets same actors obviously so we're shooting at the same time with the film it's also not a feature length itself due to its nature as a holiday special to be aired on disney plus it's not an hour it's definitely not an hour it's under 40 minutes he concluded 
So I'm pretty sure everyone was going to watch this regardless of it tying into like volume three. Uh, but it's pretty cool to know that it's canon. And it's going to actually like further the Guardian's story. But at the same time, I was kind of hoping to get like the MCU version of the Star Wars like holiday special. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. Damon, I guarantee <laughs> at this point, it's probably going to be like a Porg type character that they're just going to introduce. Oh, and, that, and that's how it explains how it comes into the group. I, that's my imagination I not, for it. <laughs> Once again, I'm so glad you're not in charge of anything, especially, especially this podcast. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I am 50%. Uh-huh. Sure you are. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that it's only going to be like a half hour long, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be like 42 minutes. <laughs> 40, 42 minutes on the dot, huh? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I just thought, like, if they're going to do it, why not give us at least an hour? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, beggars can't be choosers. Do you think maybe they kind of further, like, the Gamora storyline? Like, maybe, like, tracking no. her? I mean, maybe they'll mention that she's not there. Maybe Star-Lord will be sad about it. But I don't think they're going to, like, get into it until we actually get to Volume 3. And then we've got also Thor, Love and Thunder, which we know yes. that Star-Lord's part of. So I'm sure they could touch upon it there. But I could see Gunn using it to do a little bit of the heavy lifting so he doesn't really have to dive too much into it in, like, Volume 3. Because I can't imagine all of Volume 3 just being about Gamora. No, but I, I, I do think it'll be a big portion no, of I, whatever's going on. I agree on. with that. I agree with that. <laughs> I think they could just be like, oh, she's might be, like, on this planet. We're tracking her. You know, something like she's, that, just kind of setting you up. She's Space Santa. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That's better than Porks. <laughs> you make Gamora Space Santa? Uh-huh. I'm all in. Let's let's go that route. Switching on over to DC, it looks like J.K. Simmons is in talks to return as Commissioner Gordon. So according to The Hollywood Reporter, Justice League's J.K. Simmons is in talks to reprise his role as Gotham City Police Commissioner James Gordon for the Batgirl film coming to HBO Max. I know I'm personally hoping that this pans out because he didn't really get a chance to really do much with the character in the Justice League film. I feel like Batgirl will give him a lot more to work with. Um, But now with Simmons Gordon being a part of the DCEU, does this mean Batgirl takes place in that continuity? Or is this a case of the studio just liking the actor for the role? I wouldn't be surprised with its renewed like interest after the Snyder Cut for them to want to have maybe some small connections here or there uh, going forward with the with the DCEU if they want to keep you know that going, <laughs> if, that's, if they want that to be a thing still. Because, you know, clearly it won't be part of Pattinson's Batman version either. So. Yeah, since they already have a Commissioner Gordon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, all right, Damon, I hope you're ready to catch them all as there is a Pokemon live action TV series in the works at Netflix. So Variety broke the news of the new Pokemon project, but revealed that the title's in such early stages that there's really no like plot details or an idea of a release date at this time. All we do know is Lucifer co-showrunner Joe Henderson is slated to write and be the executive producer. But that's pretty much it. Um, Something I personally know, though, is how extremely happy this is going to make my daughter. Christian, do you want them to focus on, like, Ash and, like, the original gang? Or do you want to see them maybe spin something off of Detective Pikachu? Because I know how much you love that movie. (laughs) Honestly, right now, I think it's time for a new story to be told in the Pokemon Sphere universe, whatever you want to fucking call it. Um, I think... 
what they did with Detective Pikachu and like the effects and how they used it. And, you know, I think that was a great, you know, entry into a live action version of Pokemon. And I would love to see whatever they did, whatever magic that, you know, put together, you know, the way that they look in that film be used on a Netflix series. But I'm afraid that maybe they're not going to have the budget or whatever planning between doing a TV series version versus doing a film, which is just a two hour experience at tops. You yeah. Know? I don't know. Netflix has a lot of money though, man, you know, and they're yeah. desperate to get subscribers. So, um, they took a big hit over this past year, apparently. So, um, I think they need to go the Ash Ketchum route. I do. And I think a lot of fans were disappointed that, you know, Ash and crew weren't part of, you know, Detective Pikachu. Um, it just feels like, you know, you've got to honor the classics, right? And I mean, that show is still going strong right now. So why wouldn't you go that way? I mean, Ash and Pikachu have been like the main characters of, you know, that whole Pokemon series for over 25 years at this point. So I feel like you kind of have to tell that story um unless they're just scared that it's like almost too sacred to fuck with you know and they don't want to screw it up because i mean fans well, will fucking riot because there's some hardcore pokemon fans out there well i mean the joke about netflix nowadays like the meme that goes along with netflix adaptations to anything animated is pretty much like oh you know they fuck up all the you know these legacy characters over the years every time they do a live action version it tends to be super downgraded compared to what it was as an animated um show you're talking so, about like I on mean, the anime front because i'm trying yeah. to think of another like animated series that they went live action with recently and nothing's coming no, no, to mind it's, so it's, it's more mostly, anime right yeah um, but i don't know man i just feel like that's where the money's at <laughs> like that's what fans are going to want but I understand why they would be hesitant also. Mm -hmm. Looks like we got another Moon Knight villain reportedly revealed. So this story is coming via Murphy's Multiverse. It looks like they got a look at a cast list from a talent agency website that has French actor Gaspard Yuli train Anton Mogart, uh, AKA the Midnight Man. Uh, Mogart first appears in Moon Knight number three in 1981, where the costume connoisseur art thief strikes around midnight. So I'll be totally honest, I vaguely remember this character, um, but not really. <laughs> but anyway, so after he shot and he seemingly killed by a plunge into the river during his first appearance, the Midnight Man returns in Moon Knight number nine to reveal his face has been disfigured by New York City waste after escaping into the sewer system. But Mogart is really kind of the pawn of Bushman, you know, um, Moon Knight's arch enemy, really. So it makes you wonder if we're indeed going to get Bushman in this series. But we do know that like Ethan Hawke has been casted as the main villain um, and rumors are suggesting that he might be playing either Werewolf by Night or the Sun King. Uh, but if you ask me like, Bushman has to be part of the series, um, you know, if not in the first season, at least in the second season. But we've got all the time in the world to speculate because Moon Knight doesn't even have a release date. So um, it is set to premiere sometime in 2022. Looks like we got an update on the next Exorcist film, and it looks like it might actually be a trilogy. So just a couple weeks ago, we heard reports of a new Exorcist film on the way from Blumhouse and David Gordon Green. 
Well, now we finally have some more details on the premise, and it looks like the project is not a remake at all, thank God, but a sequel to the original that might spawn into a trilogy at Universal Pictures and the Peacock streaming service. The trilogy will see Oscar winner Ellen Burstyn, who of course starred in the original Exorcist, co-star alongside Leslie Odom Jr., who's reportedly the father of a possessed child who turns to Chris McNeil for help. Uh, as McNeil's daughter, Reagan, had to fight off a demonic presence in the original film. David Gordon Green is on board to write and direct the trilogy, and it's going to be underneath the umbrella of Morgan Creek and Blumhouse. So in an interview with Total Film, Gordon has been quoted as saying, The Exorcist has been written. Uh, that was one of my pandemic projects, and it's not inaccurate that it's going to be a sequel to the original film. I like all the Exorcist movies, and not only do I like them, I think they can all fall into the acceptable mythology for what I'm doing. It's not like I'm saying pretend that Exorcist 2 never happened. That's fine to exist. They're all fine to exist. I enjoy them all. He's got to be lying about Exorcist 2 because no one enjoys Exorcist 2. But anyway, um, the first installment of the new Exorcist films is said to be scheduled to arrive in theaters sometime in 2023. However, the second and the third film will probably premiere on Peacock. At least that's the rumor of the deal that they struck with Universal. Only time will really tell. I personally am just ecstatic that they're not remaking the original because that was kind of the rumor that first was out there when this story broke. Um, since like, I don't know, it's definitely on the list of films that I never want to see be remade. I do like the premise of bringing Ellen Burstyn back. Uh, we were kind of speculating before that maybe they would do so with like, you know, Linda Blair. Uh, apparently that's not on the table right now, according to her at least. But man, there's not many original actors they can really bring back at this point. So I don't know. It just feels like story-wise, it would make sense to at least have her, I don't know, cameo in it. But maybe that's not a road that they want to go down. Um, I hope they have a hell of a story, though, to warrant a trilogy, because they definitely have some like big shoes to fill here. I mean, I do share your sentiments when it comes to this being a sequel rather than a remake. I'm, I'm happy for that. I don't know if I'm ready for three sequels right off the bat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would hope to see like one successful one. And then if they have an idea for a, a second and a third, that's great. It's a big gamble to just like, yeah. oh, this is a trilogy. <laughs> I was like, well, what if no one likes the first one? Are you going to go through with the other two? Mm -hmm. But they did I, something similar with Halloween. Because I think like right after the first film you know premiered you know 2018 uh they announced two more films were you know being done yeah so i mean it's like well what if no one likes halloween kills like, <laughs> <laughs> but well i, I think i think people will be less harsh on a halloween sequel than they would be on like an exercise i agree sequel. I agree 100% because, I mean, we've already seen a reboot of the franchise. We've mm. had multiple sequels. So I agree a lot of people will be a lot more forgiving of another, like, Halloween, you know, sequel or reboot. So where I think Exorcist is kind of held on another level. You know, not mm. to me, you know, honestly, Halloween <laughs> and Exorcist are, like, my number one and number two greatest horror movies of all time. But, yeah. You know, it's the fucking Exorcist. So, I'm, but we've had shitty sequels. So, I mean, if this yes. happens to be another case of another shitty sequel, it is what it is. I can pretend sequels don't exist. I mean, I've been doing that for years <laughs> with part two. So, but I've said it here before. Exorcist 3 is a fucking classic. 
a classic. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the amazing nerd show. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Make sure to download the free Podbean app today. That's right. P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. Well, all right, it's time to talk a little Bad Batch with episode 13, Infested. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars, The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. Then you should have no problem retrieving it. Until you do, the child stays here. Not happening. You misunderstand. This is not a negotiation. So in all honesty, this is kind of a nothing happening episode. I mean, (laughs) it's once again a chapter that feels kind of out of place from where we last saw the Bad Batch. I mean, instead of following up with like Crosshair and his new directive of hunting down the crew, we get this what's, I don't know, becoming this like pretty formulaic side story with the Bad Batch having to help out Sid to regain her parlor, um, you know, from this up and coming crime boss, Roland. Once again, like, the Bad Batch are reluctant to help Sid, and Omega ends up having to plead with them to do so. It's more of like a character-building episode, kind of, except this time around, Omega just feels a little more naive, comparatively speaking. The only thing I felt remotely interesting here was the use of the Pike Syndicate, because the last time we saw them, they were aligned with Maul in his Shadow Collective. So I was kind of hoping to get, like, a bit of a cameo, but that just didn't happen. Anyway, this episode just didn't feel like it warrant like a huge breakdown um, because like I said, once again, not much happened here. I mean, there's some nice action scenes, but I don't know, to sum it up, Sid gets her bar back after striking a sort of deal with the Pikes, you know, to retrieve the spice that they end up stealing back from Roland. Um, they end up having to fight off some space insects. I'm not really doing this any justice, but like I said, not much happens. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we also see like Omega's compassion even extends out to Roland. Uh, once again, just like hitting us over the head with the idea of not everything being black and white that you know everyone has a little good in them it's a fine theme i guess it just felt so redundant though after the last couple episodes i mean maybe i'm just cranky because i was all geared up to see like crosshair begin his hunt um but that's not what we got at all here i also like i don't understand why the batch is still hanging at sid's like especially since like their debt is paid with like hunter always wanting to keep omega out of harm's way it just doesn't make much sense to me like why would they continue to run these missions that are sketchy at best like i don't mind a little side episode here and there but it feels like these excursions like from the main narrative are really like hurting the show's momentum in the long run i mean don't get me wrong it's not an awful episode by any means but i don't know christian did i miss anything major that happened here um did something just go over my head (laughs) what were your thoughts no i don't think you really missed anything important in this episode and it's just because it it just it's just a hard stop compared to everything that we've gotten in these last few episodes i mean even i feel like that last time that we talked about you know the show kind of going off the rails a little bit 
that still felt a bit more baked into what was going on storyline wise. Whereas this episode, nothing before really matters. This could have happened at any point in the show since meeting Sid. I agree. Uh, yeah. And it felt out of sequence it, almost. Yeah, it was weird. Um, especially just after getting two episodes with Hera's storyline and we getting that like hard cut away from kind of where they were before to building up to what I thought would be the start of the end. Yes. I, this just felt very much out of place. Yes, this feels like um, it should have been like the third act of the season, really. Like this should be the start. Yeah, at least. exactly. Yeah, you, I think you said it right. Um, you, you really cut the momentum of the show by putting in an episode like this. But it, it's it's still, I guess, a kid show at the end of the day. I guess. I, I guess. I, I Is it really consider though? It... <laughs> no, because I was already like, oh man, Sid's dead. When they first started talking about her, I was like, oh, she's gone. Uh, right. <laughs> they do some hardcore shit. Like it, it's really borderline. Yeah, I, I hear that, but at the same time, it's like. What we got at the end of like Clone Wars and those last few seasons of that show, they did introduce a lot more gray than what I've been seeing in this show in particular. Like I feel like they're all, they're letting it they're letting a little bit more of the harshness of what goes on in the galaxy out of this one a little bit more than I expected. Now remember though, Christian, this is the same series that had crosshair like mowing people down in cold blood yes. were unarmed. <laughs> so I mean <laughs> Yes, there are episodes, and I feel like there's episodes in Clone Wars and Rebels, for that matter, that kind mm -hmm. of toe the line and might be a little, I don't know, for my taste, too kid-friendly, whereas it's more about, like, finding a balance, where they know they have kids watching, but at the same time, they want it to fit into, like, the Star Wars universe, you know, like, into, mm -hmm. like, the films. Like, you could see this playing out cinematically. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, and you could say that with the films, too. And I don't really think that should be an excuse, either. You could still tell a good story and it be kid-friendly at the same time. So, I think it's just really bad pacing um, mm -hmm. when it boils down to it. And it, it just felt like this episode wasn't needed. Like, it didn't really expand on anything new, it, besides filling the episode count. Which is horrible to say because I don't feel like any of these episodes are truly filler, you know, because they do do some character building here. But I just, I don't know, it felt like everything that they were touching on in this episode was already said in, you know, past episodes. Oh, yeah. And I, there's no real through line in this episode. Like, I mean, we, an episode like this could have interjected, especially with like, dealing with the gangster side and stuff like that, they could have showed off something maybe with Cad Bane, something maybe with Fennec still following them. Just even if it was like a tiny little bit that kind of furthers the, like the overall narrative, mm -hmm. then yeah, that would work. But there's no through line to the rest of the story. This is just absolute fail. And even if it's something that pays <laughs> off in season two, because it feels like yes. there's definitely going to be a season two at this point. So because you could have laid some groundwork, you know, in the lull of the story. Yes. Uh, but maybe this is something that we're not seeing that will play into either the end of this season or into the next season. Maybe maybe Maul is somewhere out there and this was just the tiny little glimpse of, you know, the Pikes that they wanted to start here. I maybe don't know. Roland comes back and is sympathetic yeah. towards Omega. I don't know. <laughs> I think part of it too is like, I don't give a shit about Sid. <laughs> exactly. Right? Do you really, I feel like she's just kind of like a, a plot gimmick, honestly. She's not a good person. So no. I, I, I had the same amount no, of thought for Roland as exactly. her. Like if we saw another side of the character here, I would give this show a pass, but I don't know. It was just more of the same. And like I said, Omega felt naive to me here where, you know, mm -hmm. Sid would stab you in the back in a second. 
you know, where, you know, in the past episodes, I understood her appealing to Hunter's, like, you know, compassionate side. But here, it just felt like, well, no, Hunter's right. Like, she's not a good person. She <laughs> <No>. <laughs> She's basically blackmailed you into working for her, you know? So, I mean, I guess Omega's just a better person than us in the long run. Oh, probably. <laughs> but, like, that story's already been told. Like, we get yeah. it. She's a great person. Let's move on. <laughs> Where the fuck's Crosshair? <laughs> yeah, the fact that there isn't, like, a scene of him trying to hunt them down at all in this episode just doesn't make or any like sense. Or, like, preparing to, to hunt them down or just, you know, something yeah. to set that up for, like, you know, the next episode. I agree 100%. And I think this, this would have been a little more forgivable for me if that was the case. Mm -hmm. But... Otherwise, I don't know. It was just kind of, it was just there. It happened. It's okay. I'm sure if I binge through the series, like this episode won't really bother me that much. But when you've been waiting for a week, I think that's when it kind of gets to you. Well, and again, after two really good episodes, this was just kind of a a, a big stop sign. <laughs> agree, agree. Well, hopefully next episode we have a little more to talk about. All right, Christian, you're a real American hero this weekend, and you saw a film for us. You're damn right. I saw Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe Origins film, something like that. <laughs> Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Snake Eyes ahead. You have been warned. 600 years. Our ninja have brought peace to the world. Things have changed. I need warriors like you to become the future of the clan. It's yours, if you want it. Let's go. Ancient Japanese clan called the Rashikage welcomes tenacious loner Snake Eyes after he saves the life of their heir apparent. Snake Eyes was directed by Robert Schwimke and stars Henry Golding. I don't know if I'm just getting, you know, too old or if I've become a little bit too bah humbug when it comes to just the average action film, but I just, I don't know if I can sit through them anymore. You know, especially after 10 years of watching the film industry kind of doing them better and better each time, you know, even with the more campy stuff coming from the MCU or films like John Wick that capture the absence of a good action film altogether, I just don't know if I can sit through anything I would consider below average. So when I heard G.I. Joe was looking to kind of do a restart and build a, you know, a Joe universe, I thought it was the right move. After all, we've seen that work, but that first trailer made me a little hesitant and a little nervous, especially since it looked like a below average film. And unfortunately, this first entry into what was looking to be the next G.I. Joe franchise is just too watered down of an action film and has really just muddied the future of Joe altogether. Snake Eyes is a badass mute assassin with a rich history in G.I. Joe and quite a bit of popularity, so it kind of seemed like an obvious choice for the most action-y start to your new franchise. But instead of using source material to even loosely guide them, they created their own tale that starts with Snake Eyes being the bad guy and working towards his own goal of vengeance, only to learn the error of his ways and, you know, go down that righteous path to becoming a hero. And, you know, if written well, maybe that could have worked. Maybe that would have been like this interesting story arc, but it wasn't. And instead, they steered me in the completely wrong direction as I felt like Snake Eyes was the most unlikable character of the film. 
his decisions throughout the film just are so selfish and you know he's lying to everyone you know he's, he's being this double agent type of character and you know in the end it doesn't really feels like he grows or changes in a way that really makes sense they didn't show enough growth on screen to make me care about him as a character but you know what hey sometimes the main character kind of sucks and the side characters are what boosts up the story you know, after all, they're going for that long-term storytelling style, so maybe he just sucks for now and he'll, he'll grow as, he, as we go on. But again, that's just really not the case here, as most of the side characters featured in the trailers are just kind of bit parts. And our main supporting role, Storm Shadow, while he is the most likable character on screen, and is actually very different from the portrayals we've seen before, you know, he, he has a storyline that really just gets him more shafted than any other character in this as they try to place him back into that more villainous role you expect from you know snake eyes's arch enemy slash counterpart it's this very you know weird 180 that this character takes and again makes him just another one of the unlikable characters in this film as he's just this character that ends up running around whining about not being the leader of his clan you know after you know telling us how much his clan matters to him throughout this entire film he just you know abandons it in the very last moments with very little character development to tell us why that he would be this upset but okay it's an action film sometimes we can let the story go as the fights are awesome and really what we're here for in the end but well snake eyes takes that you know tried and true method of making the camera so shaky that i can't even tell what's going on half the time in the fights so i don't know if i can really even give you a grade based off choreography as i could not even see the choreography the camera was so goddamn shaky you know legitimately my eyes were hurting at points trying to focus on what was going on in the scene also when it comes to the fights their abilities just felt all over the place you know there are times where you know everything felt really grounded and then out of nowhere they can just jump and get to any place you know it's the kind of wire works you would see in crouching tiger hidden dragon out of nowhere and then the, that ability when they probably need it most is just gone also from another story standpoint no one seems to be like you know surprised by any of the mysticalness of this world like everything is just kind of like hey this is exists no one's surprised you know there's there's a mystical rock that can melt and burn anything down at any time and everyone's just like okay this is fine you know i don't understand how you know how mystical this world is and if this is normal or not normal <laughs> All in all, this film felt like they just put convenience first, especially when they were in the pre-production meetings. You know, nothing ever felt really explained. Character development is extremely lacking. The one person from Cobra in the film, Baroness, barely seems like a maniacal terrorist at all and ends up actually being on the good guy's side at some point. Um, you know, the plot is just as shaky as the camera work, and I left the theater feeling like I'd watched, you know, the bare minimum version of an action movie. And I felt like if I had graded this right after I saw it, maybe I would have given it a C, C minus, you know, just for how average of a film it was. But now that I've had some time to actually sit on it and think about what I actually just watched, my grade is probably going to be a D plus. While it didn't do anything to necessarily offend me, it just was such a bland experience which no film, and especially no action film, should ever be. I mean, at least even like Mortal Kombat had some type of element there that got me interested and you know, made me pop, made me excited for what was on screen. This was just so bland and boring and nothing really happened and all the action sequences were just completely unwatchable. And unfortunately for Joe, I think this ends 
you know, without me wanting to see another hero on screen, or at least until the franchise is in some other company's hands. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pube to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code AMAZING, that's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. You know what, Tanahashi? Screw you. You don't get to wrestle me, you're dead to me. You know what I did today? I sent my boy Charlie over to FedEx with a stack about this high of contracts. I said, send that to my boy in the office in Japan. We'll see what happens. We'll see what comes through the forbidden door. I am the freaking forbidden door. All right, Christian, we had another eventful AEW Dynamite. Uh, and since this night was pretty much pay-per-view quality, we're going to go ahead and just break it down match for match. Break it down! 
No, like you said, David, this was an incredible night for just a random TV episode. If you really think about it, I mean, this was pay-per-view quality, and I was very surprised by that. Just like even with our first match, and we'll get into it, just the amount of stuff that they're willing to put in on television is insane. Yeah, they're definitely like jam-packing all these like Wednesday Dynamites. I know it's underneath the like Fight for the Fallen like moniker, but it seems like every Dynamite since they've returned back to like yes. TNT in their time slot <laughs> has had you know a, a title to it. Which I mean, whatever. I mean, they've all been warned because they've had these cards that are just over delivering. Exactly, and the crowd is just eating it up. I mean, the, their crowd is definitely like the hottest crowd in the business right now. Like, yes. there's no debate. Like, AEW has to be the hottest brand in wrestling. And it makes me really want to go to those Chicago shows now that they're announcing even now more. Now that there's, like, five of them, yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a little bit. What's our first match of the night, Christian? Well, first up, we had the Elite, along with the Good Brothers, going up against Hangman, Adam Page, and the Dark Order. Um, this was that match where if... You know, Paige and the Dark Order were to, you know, be eliminated from it. They would lose their title opportunities against them. And unfortunately, that's how it went. Yes, uh, but first, let's talk about the insane production value <laughs> of their introductions. Because they went, like, all out here. Like, completely cinematic. Uh, you know, obviously, they had some kind of fucking Space Jam, like, sponsorship tie-in going. Uh, we had the Super Elite as the Goon Squad. Uh, you know, coming out, dribbling basketballs. They had a little rim up there for them to dunk on. Um, yes. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous looking. <laughs> and then we had a whole fucking cowboy, like, montage thing happening with the Dark Order. Something I wasn't expecting. They're all wearing, like, matching fucking, like, you know, cowboy gear. You know, you know no hat, though. No hat, because cowboys, no. like, what, what do they fucking say? Like, cowboys don't need to wear just saying cowboys don't have to wear hats okay. you know not all cowboys wear hats sure. I, it's, it's, eh, whatever i think it's they should have had the hats. Yeah, right that's what i was kind of imagine john silver with one of those little like kurt angle hats exactly on. that would have been fucking fantastic but anyway yes no i'm fantastic you know matching fucking purple chaps and shit i mean it, it was a good look so it was one like hell of way to like hype up the crowd for this match the match itself was just pure insanity really no fucking rules but it didn't matter Right. Like with the live crowd. No. There, like, yeah, I think it stands out more like all that, that those little things when there's no crowd, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. get annoyed. But when you have a hot crowd, it just covers up for so much that it doesn't matter. <laughs> like you forgive so much because like the crowd is like literally standing on their feet the entire time. And it's hard not to get like caught up in that energy. Like, I don't want to see it all the fucking time. But, you know, for a 10-man, like, tag team elimination match, you knew it was going to be a clusterfuck. But I thought this no, was exactly. well, like, choreographed and, like, mapped mm -hmm. out where it made sense. I just wish, like, someone would actually, like, catch someone doing a dive. Because we had two separate occasions where, you know, wrestlers just fucking splat on the concrete with literally eight people standing around and no one ended up catching them. So Stu Grayson and yeah. Nick Jackson both took hard falls. Um, thankfully, they both seem to be okay. Stu's was, like, fucking brutal, though. Like, he just landed flat on his back, you know, 
barely grazing like the, the the crowd of people standing around so um i also have to give kudos once again to aew's production because i thought they did a good job of not like you know filming everyone standing around they kind of focused on Stu. Yes. they've been doing mm-hmm. so much better with like their dives in general like the way they're shooting them so so you know props to aew for that we even had like an indie taker slam dunk spot with the net. I mean, Nick totally missed the fucking basket, but that's okay because they're heels. You can do that when you're a heel because uh-huh. <laughs> um, you're supposed to look like assholes. Um, and they did. So yeah, he got um, the layup. He got the layup. All right. <laughs> yeah. An amazing spot. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was great. And we got the storyline we were speculating about last week where we were saying, like, what if Adam Page loses this match? What does this mean? You know, can they push off this title match, you know, to another date? Because at first it felt like, well, this makes sense for them to, you know, do this match Mm -hmm. at, you know, all out. You know, all the rumors out there happening right now, we are kind of wondering, like, well, is that the right match, you know, right now? Um, And it seems like they might be telling an even longer form story Mm -hmm. than we thought you know, at first, because, you know, I mean, you figure this whole thing with like Kenny and Adam Page and the Young Bucks, it's been going on for over a year at this point. Yes, this is. So, but now, I don't know, maybe they've decided not to go that route since we had Page and the Dark Order losing this match. Because I just can't see a way for Page to get back to the number one contendership. Or even if he's supposed to, like if he's allowed to get back to the number one contendership, since that was the stipulation. And we know that the AEW always sticks to their stipulations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's a case of, you know, maybe Kenny having to lose the title and win it back before Page can, like, re-challenge him um we'll have to see i'm interested also to see his response to losing yes because we know the whole story was him being scared of failing now that he's failed like does he start hitting the bottle again does he get lost you know in his beer or does he respond differently this time you know does he become more aggressive and you know driven um I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I wouldn't mind a like a small detour with Miro and him. I think that would be a good time uh, if they wanted to just have him focus on a, the uh, the TNT title for a short while. That would be a hell of a match. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a full fucking program. Yeah. Between Miro and Paige, and maybe he concentrates on that belt for a little bit, gets a nice run in. Um, and then like eventually, you know, we head back to this feud, you know, between the elite and page in like, you know, a couple months. So I, I, I would be fine. You know, with as, that. as much as I'm disappointed with him, not, you know, having a, you know, match it all out with Kenny. I, it, at the same time, it does make sense that the attention would be all on who, if punk and, you know, Brian are going to be there, you know, that would just steal the moment away. And it would probably, uh, they would probably want to focus on them. Um, and the exactly. title picture, it's just, and that might take away from yeah. you know Paige's title win because it feels like at this point, especially after this match, there's no way Paige is not going to win that title when he yeah. faces Omega. So I feel like that's the story that's going to play out here. It's just they're going to be taking a longer road to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like too, like well, we know at this point that it's probably not going to be Punk since it feels like another challenge was laid out, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I feel like. Maybe you need to strike when the iron's hot and, you know, especially when you're thinking about like pay-per-view buys, if you introduce someone like Brian Danielson, 
Like maybe that's the time, mm-hmm. you know, for him to get his title shot because that's the match everyone's going to be clamoring to see. So, but I mean, that might be too early. That might feel hot shotted, but I feel like that's the dream match. So everything is going to feel a little less than, you know, without that match. Because I don't see who else would challenge Omega mm-hmm. for the title at this point. Like who could get hot enough? Now, during tonight's show, they did mention that Christian is like the number, th- like number three in line. For a title shot. Um, I'm wondering if he starts creeping up. Like contendership wise. Especially now that Paige is out of the line. Mm. Um, could we see Cage get a match? I don't want to see that necessarily at the pay-per-view. Yeah. But I could see that being at one of these like you know Dynamites. Or even a Rampage debut. Yeah. Um, maybe at that whatever. The, the United Center Rampage or something like that. But I, I, I can't see imagine it being all out. No, no, I I don't feel like that's a big enough match. Mm. They haven't they haven't done enough to build up Cage at this point. Yeah. I feel like so. Um, yeah, but you know what? This is good storytelling because we're kind of left in the dark. We don't know where they're <laughs> going. So, and I like that. I like it being kind of unpredictable. So, at least I'm still interested in it. You know, it's not like yeah. it's unpredictable for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's not. You know, like on the other. You know, show uh-huh. <laughs> on the other channel where we know it's unpredictable just because they're tearing up scripts you know, 15 <laughs> minutes before the show starts. We know we can at least have faith that this has been all like you know mapped out. Um, in detail of where they're headed. So I dig it because it adds another wrinkle to, you know, Hitman's story and his journey to the title. So when he does get it, it's going to even be sweeter now. Oh, yeah. He's the main character. Because he didn't lose anything. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't lose anything by losing this match. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think people are more intrigued by his journey. Well, up next, we had a title celebration from Ricky Starks, you know, in the in the ring, you know, uh, being supported by Taz and company. Yes, yes. It was Team Taz putting on a like title coordination, I guess, mm-hmm. for a belt that doesn't really like count <laughs> in AEW. I've got to say, I like I felt bad for this segment. It was just kind of in the worst spot possible because I feel like, you know, the crowd started off super hot. Mm. But then, like, once Paige lost that match, like, the wind went out of their sails for at least, like, two more segments. So, like, the crowd was pretty much dead here. Um, Starks was great on the mic, but I think there was some kind of difficulty because the crowd started chanting, we can't hear you. Oh, okay. Starks did not let that frazzle him at all. He just kept on powering through. And it was a great promo. Um, Taz had a whole fucking, like, New Orleans band out there celebrating with him. Um, Eventually, Brian Cage comes out. Beats the shit out of the poor band. I don't know what the fuck these guys did. <laughs> like, he literally puts the fucking bass drum over the dude's head. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he jumps to the ring, and he doesn't bother even chasing after Stark. So I thought that was a little weird. But I was like, I was like he's literally three feet away from you. You could get out of the ring and chase mm-hmm. him, like, up the ramp at least. But whatever. It's like wrestling, like, physics. Like, once they jump out of the ring for some reason during, a, like, a segment like this, you can't chase after them. Like, there's just a wall. It's an invisible wall. I kind of thought that was a WWE (laughs) thing, but apparently it's, like, you know, followed us over to AEW. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, no, it was a fine segment. It got the point across well enough. But once again, I think the crowd was still getting over, like, Paige and the Dark Order's loss. Hmm. I mean, either way, it was, like, almost a 30-minute match they had right before that, so. Yes, yes. And they were on their feet the entire time, so. But this did carry over, I believe, to the next match. Which was a match between FTR and Proud and Powerful. 
Yes, yeah, so this is a continuation of the Inner Circle and Pinnacle feud. Um, it's about fucking time these guys finally had a match. Unfortunately, once again, like I said, the crowd was just not feeling it at this point. Mm. I thought, I don't know, they worked a different style of match than I was expecting. This was not your typical like FTR match. Like, usually FTR is very methodical, you know, cutting off the fucking ring, really working over, like, you know, singling out one competitor, working them over, just classic, like, tag team shit. But, you know, here it was really just a fucking full speed pace. And I think that was on purpose since these guys have been jonesing to, like, you know, get each other for so long. And they were clicking on all cylinders. But, like, the crowd was just so out of it, it was hard to, for me to get into it. Um, and then we had an injury happen. That's right. Something happened in the corner. I believe it was uh, with Cash. And his arm just started gushing. Uh, yes. And they cut away quick. But, I mean, you still saw. So it looks like he went to the into the corner mm-hmm. and he somehow got cut on the hook holding up the post yeah okay that's what i thought but i wasn't sure because it's just so it's very much like in the background happening no this is after the fact Mm -hmm. that that story came out so because you can't really tell on camera what's going on i just saw him all of a sudden like hold his arm and then get down from the apron and walk away and i was like oh shit like i thought he like (laughs) broke his arm or something but then like after the match like ended abruptly um with FTR winning, which was kind of weird because uh, it was like a two-on-one situation. <laughs> but I think they just kind of like, okay, we've got to go home. We don't know what the hell's going on at this point. Um, when uh, Dax got down, you see fucking Cash on the ground, like holding his arm, and it's just covered in blood with the doctor like treating it. So it must have been pretty fucking gruesome because mm-hmm. FTR, th- those are two fucking old school guys. Like they're not going to just like leave a match in the oh, middle no. of it unless like, mm-hmm. you know, the injury is pretty goddamn serious. So, I um, mean, it's unfortunate. Hopefully we get a rematch, you know, sooner than later. I know AEW typically they don't do a lot of rematches, but I feel like they need to do one here. Like, like have this be the pay-per-view match. You know, I feel like that would be OK. Yeah, it works. Um, I think overall, like outside of this injury, um, storyline wise, I, I want to see these guys interact with their teams a little bit more. I'm surprised mm-hmm. how little like you know interactions we're seeing between Pinnacle members and how you know little we're seeing between the inner circle at this point. Like I know Chris Jericho has to go do these matches alone um, each time, but it's just like there's no like powwow in the back or anything yes. like that. You could do a segment in the back mm-hmm. with the guys like pumping up Jericho and shit or giving him a pep talk, you know, getting him ready and everything. Now, I know last week MJF said no more interference yeah. from the inner circle, but you could still have those backstage segments. Exactly. Um, it, Sammy wasn't even on the card. No, tonight. not at all. Um, and the same goes though for Pinnacle. Like I don't see MGF with the rest of them enough, especially like with you know FTR going up against other members of the inner circle. You just you would think there'd be a little bit more conversation about like making mm-hmm. the Pinnacle look the best that they can and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah, they've kind of like split off into their own little yeah, splinter cells now. and stuff. It's yeah, weird. which I don't know. I I want to see a little more connective tissue mm-hmm. because they've done such a great job with that storyline so far. So I don't want them to lose track of the whole team aspect, you know, and not just focus on Jericho versus MJF. 
Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, up next, we had Lance Archer defending his title, the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship against Hikaleu. Oh, but before that, let's not skip over the fact that we actually had a promo package yes. from Tanahashi Air. Um, I'm going to say I felt like AEW kind of botched this, though. Like, I felt like they could have done a better job with the promo package itself and maybe do, like, a little introduction to Tanahashi for, like, you know, viewers at home to know who he is. Because, yeah, you've got a lot uh-huh. of hardcore wrestling fans who are AEW fans, but at the same time, for, like, you know, your casual fan, like, this just kind of starts and it's a dude talking and there's subtitles and, like, there's not really an explanation. Like, it was uh, very New Japan. It was like they yes. had just New Japan send them a video package and they were like, okay, and I this wish, is okay. if that's the fact, I wish then Tony Khan would have said, okay, we need to add a little something. Mm. Like, give us a few clips of Tanahashi so we can see who he is. Like, give us some stats. Let us know who he is, how he's the ace of New Japan, uh-huh. and how it's a big deal that he's, like, airing on our show. So I just felt like they could have done a better job pushing that a little more. Now, we know that that match is going to actually end up being on New Japan TV, so maybe that's why they didn't, like, you know, put their best foot forward, but... I don't know. I expect you to rise to the occasion, not kind of like just, I don't know, no, fall I, in line. I agree with you. I think it is a little bit of a mistake. I wasn't thinking about it at the time because, you know, I you know I know who fucking Tanahashi is, but mm-hmm. any new watcher is not going to know what's going on. And even with like Moxley doing a promo later on tonight um, mm-hmm. about, you know, Tanahashi, I'm like, OK, why is he so upset with him? You know, it's I, yes, it's those little details that might have helped a little bit more. Um, yes, because the crowd didn't really react to it. No, and you yeah. would think that the crowd would get a big response, like seeing Tanahashi and everything, because you know it aired, you mm-hmm. know, live. So I don't know. I think if they would have set it up and make it a big deal, like you know, something like New Japan did for Moxley when he showed up, yes, mm-hmm. you know, on their on their TVs. So I don't know. I was just expecting a little more. Like it could have been a bigger moment. But regardless, Lance Archer beat Hikaleo. Um, you know, I think fucking Haku was probably the most over guy here, honestly. (laughs) And rightfully so. Uh I mean, it's fucking, you know, Haku. But, um, I don't know. It was a fine match. Archer was definitely fucking carrying him. Hikaleo is definitely still green. And it's, I mean, yeah, he's been wrestling for, you know, a couple years at this point. But a good chunk of that was kind of lost during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So... Give him time. I feel like with his size and everything, he's probably going to eventually be great. But, you know, he's just not there yet. Um, but the match was serviceable, you know, getting Archer over. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing Archer versus uh, Tanahashi. And I believe that's going to be taking place at a dome show in New Japan. Oh, uh, Hikaleo uses the Gorillas of Destiny music, so I got uh, maybe a little too excited when he came uh, out, because I was like, oh my god, is, is are, are G.O.D. here too? Like, what yes. the fuck? <laughs> yes, I actually was kind of hoping for that too. Like, I was expecting to see them follow behind uh-huh. him, but it didn't happen. It's okay, though. I, I, I feel like there's time for that. Yes, we'll get there. But, uh, you know, like you said, later on in the show, we had Moxley cut a promo talking about how Tanahashi is, like, kind of, like, ducking him. Um, so it definitely feels like we're going to be getting a match eventually between those two. At first, I was thinking all out, but then, like, listening to the promo back, it sounds like we're going to probably get another talent from New Japan mm. before that. But we do know Tanahashi is here in the next, like, couple weeks. 
So who knows? Maybe they do shoot some kind of like, you know, promo between those two and, you know, that will eventually lead to a match. But yeah, Moxley was very heelish here, too. Yes. <laughs> Did you get that vibe? Like, I was like, OK, he's kind of towing the line. I don't know if it was more for like the New Japan audience. So that's more of his character. I feel like they're the Death Rider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he said he sent a stack of contracts uh, over to New Japan. <laughs> so hopefully someone will take it. Uh-huh. Um, we'll see who walks through the doors. Amen. Yeah, but they do have a big show the same weekend of All Out. Uh, that makes sense. So, so I don't know, like, how big of a name you're really going to get. Because um, we also have Jay White in the States right now. And yes, who knows if he'll show up gonna, on AEW. I was going to bring that up. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get Jay White answering that call. Um, and I'd love to see that match. I think that'd yes. be fantastic. Mm. I love Moxley saying that he is the Forbidden Door. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it's pretty fucking awesome that we're going to get, you know, a New Japan match on All Out. So at least that's what it seems hey. like. Every day we get closer to that invasion angle. All right. You know, we're, we're getting the there. Stupid fucking pandemic <laughs> in the way. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, in even more tag team action, we got a trios match between with Christian Cage and Jurassic Express going up against the Hardy Family Office, better known as HFO. Speaking of trios matches, when are we going to get that trios title? Well, with them calling this a trios match on you know air, that made me think even more like, okay, they're trying to establish that these are the types of matches that we're going to be having on the show. Yeah. And maybe that's what leads up to a title. And they've been kind of laying the groundwork for yeah. a while with that because they will refer to these matches once. Not all the time, it seems like, but once in a while they will use that, you mm-hmm. know, that term. So I'm wondering if they like save it for the debut of Rampage. You know, and then you could do like some kind of tournament that like, you know, spans across the first like handful of shows. Because I definitely feel like whatever's going on with Death Triangle and uh, yes, Andrade is going to be a big part of the trios. Um, I agree. Whenever those come I up. agree 100 percent. And yeah, let's not forget about that. I know we're kind of off track, <laughs> but we saw Andrade interacting with Pac. The Lucha Brothers were, like, stuck at the airport. Their driver never showed up. So Andrade sent a limo, and they had to describe what a limo was to pack. Because (laughs) because apparently he lives in, like, medieval times. I don't know. (laughs) It was a weird segment, but I I understood where they were going. (laughs) Uh But for me, it really, like, called attention to, like, like, how many big names AEW has now on the Mm -hmm. roster. Because there are a lot of, like, you know, like major stars not on this card and it didn't feel like empty like it didn't feel like we're missing anyone because orange cassidy wasn't here nope right um pretty much i mean you didn't have you know andrade you didn't have the lucha brothers you didn't have sammy Guevara. um you know brit just fucking cut a promo in the back but yeah so i mean they still had like half the roster not on Mm -hmm. this show so but they didn't miss a beat I mean, it goes back to that unpredictability of each episode and what makes it so interesting to tune in each week because they have people that can come on at any time and they're all bona fide stars. You know, you can have a different group each week be awesome. And I know this is going to make us once again sound like total AEW marks, but like over on the other channel, we're seeing the same fucking like 12 people wrestle the same matches week after week after week rematch after rematch Mm -hmm. to the point where you could probably put on a show from march and make me believe that it's a show from like you know yesterday because literally uh, biggie and apollo Crews have wrestled like 30 times 
in a span of like you know since January. Are they still so, having matches on TV? They teased it again on SmackDown. Oh my god. <laughs> Let me they guess they're gonna like, go after the briefcase. Having mm-hmm. The match, you know, the match is over and over again, and now we're back to square one with those two. So well, I don't I don't get it, but let's not talk about it. let's not let's not ruin the podcast <laughs> with more WWE talk. Let's go ahead and like just concentrate on the positives with dynamite. Uh Christian Cage and Jurassic Express went over on, you know, the Hardy family office. In a brief match, it was only four minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, I mean, Jungle Boy is super fucking over. So is Luchasaurus, for that matter. Um, you know, I'm still waiting for Cage to eventually turn. Yes. On, you know, Jungle Boy, I feel like that's happening sooner than later. Um, they did make mention, like we talked about before, that Cage is like the number three contender. And now with Paige being out of the picture, I'm sure that moves him up. So I'm expecting a title match for cage in the near future um maybe once again on like you know that debut rampage show or another dynamite that they give a fancy name i just don't want to see it at the pay-per-view no i, I it's not a big enough match for no, the pay-per-view I, I mean they have a month to tell that story mm. if they wanted to but i just don't feel i feel like it's going to feel like a letdown you know, after everyone kind of got excited for, yeah. you know, the Paige, you know, Omega match. I feel like now you do have to go big. If it's not going to be Paige, who somehow, somehow like regains that number one contendership, I feel like you have to go big now and give us one of the big, you know, sign possible signees. Like I could see them doing something where Christian Cage is, you know, bringing Jurassic Express around with him and Jurassic Express accidentally costs him the, you know, title match that he has with uh, Kenny Omega in the future. You know, they do probably something similar to this. Not the 10-man tag match, but something similar down the road. I think it'll be something where you have, like, Cage lose the match Mm -hmm. and then blame Jurassic Express, even though they're not really at fault. And then he, like, you know, reverts back to that, like, fantastic crybaby heel that we know Uh he loves to portray (laughs) so well. I could definitely see them going down that road. So around here, we have the big live event announcement that they've been teasing for the last week. And it's none other than another Chicago date, (laughs) August 20th at the fucking United Center, which is our biggest like arena. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be an episode of Rampage, I believe like the second or third one at that point, or the the second one, right? Yeah. Um, And they went out of their way to tease CM Punk. So uh, after the announcement, I mean, one, the crowd starts chanting CM Punk right away. Um, But then we uh, cut to Darby Allen and Sting in the back. Darby starts cutting a promo about the rampage at the United Center. And then he says he's willing to fight even the best of the world there. Um, And the crowd goes fucking apeshit. So an obvious fucking tease to CM Mm -hmm. Punk. At this point, if he's not signed... Tony Khan is completely insane. <laughs> One for, you know, teasing the crowd like this and two for booking the United Center because uh, that's what the fourth show in a week. Mm hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty fucking ballsy, man. Uh, tickets go on sale, I believe. Is it this Friday or Monday? Uh, Monday. It was Monday. It's Monday. OK, mm. so we'll see how fast they sell. Because, I mean, they haven't said, oh, CM Punk's is going to be there. So they're really just, like, banking on, like, this tease. Yes. You know, I mean, it's a pretty obvious tease. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a huge gamble. 
I mean, either way, the energy of that crowd will be insane, whether he's there or not. So <laughs> I just don't know if you I mean, the crowd will lose their shit, though, yes. if he's not there. It's so, a great heel, heel time, I guess, uh, if you want some serious booze. Yeah, but you don't want the fucking heel to be AEW, though. Like, you don't want to heal the promotion. I That's guess. something WWE would do. Uh-huh. But it does make sense to have CM Punk debut, you know, before the pay-per-view mm. to get those buy rates once again. Yo, and maybe that's when we get the match between him and Darby. So I'm sure it'll be like kind of like an introduction, a standoff of some sort, and then a challenge, you know, for All Out. And we don't want to forget, uh, while we are kind of out of order here, but we don't want to forget about Malachi Black coming out again and attacking Cody. Um, yes. I think he was in gorilla position doing an interview, and then out of nowhere, Malachi Black just starts beating the hell out of who is supposed to be the babyface in this. <laughs> yes. But the crowd did not see it that way because they were booing the shit out of him. Uh-huh. So uh, Malachi is definitely over. He lays out Cody. He says something about the House of Black, which is, mm. I, I don't know. Just what he's going under now, maybe? Maybe. Or maybe it's a faction. I I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Um, It is a t-shirt, though. You can get that over at uh, (laughs) Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, But yeah, no. So, I mean, it was a really cool moment. Um, I'm looking forward to this match. And that's going to be taking place actually next week at AEW Homecoming. Because they're going back to Daly's place. <laughs> it's like, we just we just left there. I know. It, <laughs> when they first announced that show, I was like, isn't that kind of early for a Homecoming event? But whatever. It's weird. Maybe they couldn't book anywhere, you know, on that Wednesday. So they just like, well, fuck it. We'll just go back. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm here for it, though. Uh, I know Cody's going to be going away to film that uh, TV show. That game show that he Uh did last year. So I guess it's getting a second season. So I'm wondering if he's going to miss All Out again. Because he missed it last year, I think. Yeah. I just wonder what it's going to take to put Malachi Black over as a heel going forward. Um, I think he just needs to beat the shot of Cody and take out Arn again. And, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and then maybe go after and maybe then go after someone like Jungle Boy or something like that. Someone who's like super over, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, eventually maybe Darby. Uh, you know, someone that he can pick up that heat again because it definitely feels like he wants to stay heel. Maybe Orange Cassie and the Best Friends. That's that's another good. I mean, we didn't see Orange tonight. Mm-hmm. They could definitely go that avenue if they want. Um, Orange is super over, and I don't see that changing. Um, maybe Black needs to go ahead and act a little cowardly here and there. That that will help. Mm-hmm. It's a classic heel move. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, it might be just going against the grain though so you know he might have to be kind of a tweener uh for a little bit so we'll see i just know that he's been trying to get this character to be a heel for a while like he wanted to do this in wwe as he's said in interviews before it's just but they kept him in the broom closet for like Uh a year so (laughs) that's definitely not his fault so we'll see we'll see what happens though i'm 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 really curious how they're gonna book him going forward Mm -hmm. because he is white hot right now the crowd's really into him and that that's huge for them. I mean, they've got some like bona fide superstars at this point, but we yes. won't keep on giving AEW their flowers. Let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of bona fide superstars, Thunder Rosa made her um, official like signed debut on the show against Julia Hart. Yes, a uh, huge reaction from the crowd. I was super happy about that for her. Um, but 
I didn't like the matchup overall. I felt mm. like it definitely went too long. And looking here on the sheet, it's only four minutes, but it felt like three minutes too long. Yeah, it felt like too I would have been fine <laughs> with a squash match. And I know everyone's out there for, with a reason on AEW. They don't really do many like squash matches. And I know AEW wants everyone out there to, you know, have a reason to be there and you know, mm. have a name, which is fine. And I actually appreciate that most of the time. But I feel like it would have been okay to just, you know, destroy Julia Hart. She's still, like, new enough where mm. I don't think it would really hurt her momentum. Because they're definitely trying to, like, set up Rosa for a match against uh, Baker, I feel like, at All Out. You know, if Baker can actually compete. Now, we forgot to talk about her little promo. Um, you know, once again, super over with the crowd. Her wrist is broken. She broke it uh, in the match last week. So she says she's not going to miss any days, though. I find that very hard to believe Mm -hmm. and talk about going against the grain. Like she was going like back to her full kill character here. Like, you know, talking about the crowd and everything. I don't know if it works. You know, (laughs) I feel like she needs to kind of just stay in that gray area. The crowd wasn't, I mean, they're cheering her and she's talking about how the crowd it doesn't really support her or something like that. She's paraphrasing. And it's like, really, Britt? Um, you know, the it, when they chant along with you, yes, <laughs> exactly. it, it, it doesn't really like pan out. So, uh, uh, but anyway, so it seems like she's going to be getting like a heater, some kind of backup hmm. um, along with Rebel. I, we know Rebel's like hurt. So I don't know. Um I don't know. It, it seems like they're going to be continuing this storyline between Rosa and Britt, which makes perfect sense. I mean, it was a huge fucking match, so why not capitalize on the rematch? Um, it's just whether or not it's going to actually take place at All Out. Uh, do you have anyone in mind to you know, kind of replace Rebel or Rebel or whatever? Well, she's still going to be there, it sounds like. It's just going to uh, be someone like another person at her side. She's going to have more of an entourage. Um, probably to help her get over as a heel because it's just it's not working. I no. mean, she's one of their biggest like stars at this point. So I'm fine with her just being a tweener and just, mm. you know, and just kind of letting the program dictate like how she like, you know, acts as a character. Um, I don't know. I have no clue, man. I mean, with AEW, <laughs> they love their managers. So, uh-huh. I mean, it could be someone from the outside. I mean, who fucking knows? I mean, with AEW, we know they love their managers. I mean, it could be someone, you know, new, you know, um, they love parading around their all-time greats, which is fine with me. I, mm. I think they've kind of, like, worked in a balance at this point, you know, having people like Blanchard and Roberts and Anderson around. Um but I don't know. It could be a new wrestler, though. Maybe they have someone on the roster in mind who they want to start to groom, you know, for the main roster. Oh, it makes sense. I guess for some reason I keep picturing, like, if a character like Mickey James showing up uh, working with uh, Brent Baker. Yeah, maybe. I, I can see that. Someone who probably deserves just one more run, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know Mickey's, like, she's busy with NWA right now. Mm. They're doing some kind of, like, all-woman uh, pay-per-view coming up. So I know she shot an angle on Impact, I believe, at their last pay-per-view, um, just like recruiting people. I'm yeah. wondering if AEW participates in that. Um, we'll have to wait and see, though. Mickey would be great, though. I'd love to see her on AEW television. 
Well, Damon, I've been hearing a lot of people say that they would never, you know, expect this to ever happen. But we main evented with Nick Gage going up against the pain maker, Chris Jericho. And that's right. This is all part of that five labors of Jericho storyline that they got going on between him and MJF, where Jericho has to complete all these different like matches to get a match, you know, finally with MJF at all out. So uh, this is the second labor, I believe, right? Yes. Yes. So and one hell of a labor. <laughs> Nick fucking Gage. Uh, at this point, the crowd was fucking white hot, super excited. I mean, fucking Nick Gage got the second entrance here, which I thought mm. was crazy. But the, the, the crowd all seemed to know who he was. They popped big for him. Like you said, Jericho was in his like pain maker, you know. Uh, character ensemble, if you will. Um, and man, they really ended up delivering. And I just wasn't expecting them to give us as much as they did, mm-hmm. but they really gave us a, a, a real death match, like a legit, <laughs> you know, Nick Gage death match. Um, but I think what was different for me, at least, and I'm not like some big like death match connoisseur, um, especially nowadays, I, I think Jericho added in a lot of great psychology in this match. And I think it definitely helped it out a lot. Because I'm not a huge fan of, like, this style of deathmatch. Um, at least from what I've seen. Because, like, once again, I've only dabbled. Um, but this reminded me more of, like, the matches that you would get out of, like, you know, Foley and Funk, like, from back in okay. the day. Mm-hmm. Um, where there was just a story being told. You know, yeah, you had all these crazy fucking weapons and big spots happening. But there was definitely a psychology to it. Um, you know, I, I think it's the difference between like, you know, what Foley did in Japan to what like New Jack did in the early days at ECW. Oh, yeah. <laughs> New Jack's matches were just, you know, you know, rest in peace. But New Jack's matches were just kind of fucking, you know, just, you know, weapons after weapons for weapons sake, you know, just spot after spot uh, with not really any story happening where Jericho, you know, like Foley used to do, like really told a well-layered story in this match. I mean. It took a little bit to get going. It was a slow burn. Um, you could tell Gage was a little nervous here, I felt like. But, you know, it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Because I think part of what they were playing into was, like, making you wonder, like, are they really going to go all out here? Like, are they really <laughs> going to deliver on this death match? And I was like, I really hope they don't give us something watered down. Because they really had to give us something at least on par with what we got with, like, Moxley and Omega. Yes. But fuck that. They went above and beyond. <laughs> like, pizza cutters, light tubes. Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, so they introduced that pizza cutter right away in the beginning of the match. Um, you know, Gage drew blood right away just to give us a taste. And then they started to build the story, like slowly but surely, mm. like the, the match started getting more and more violent. Um, it was only 13 minutes long, but it felt like 20 minutes to me. Oh, yeah. It um, felt way longer than that. Because it was pretty <laughs> fucking gruesome. Um, all the spots worked um, and you got like the legit shock and awe of a real death match. Um, I have to applaud Jericho for like being willing to to wrestle a match like yes. this. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing he must have gotten an itch, you know, from narrating that Nick Gage, like, documentary. Uh-huh. And I know he interviewed a bunch of deathmatch guys, like, on his, like, podcast. So something must have fucking clicked where he just wanted to go all out. And he fucking did. You know, they delivered in spades. And I think they did enough to, like, put Gage over. Um, 
it, Jericho looked like a million dollars. Like, he looked like a total fucking badass at the end of this match. I mean, he was a bloody fucking mess, don't get me wrong. I felt like he put the Painmaker over as, like, a legit character. Um, someone who could go toe-to-toe against, mm-hmm. you know, a maniac like Nick Gage. Uh, because we had all the spots, man. <laughs> they were all there. Um, you know, pizza cutters, light tubes, like I said. Um, plates of fucking glass. Uh, just insane. And then I, I'm wondering, too, if the fact that, you know, Gage had this huge match with Cardona over the weekend, you know, where it was just a bloodbath and Cardona mm. went above and beyond also. Check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but, like, I'm wondering if that made Jericho, like, really have to, like, up his game. Like, I can't do anything watered down now. Like, I have to go all out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, after, like, Cardona's left in the ring, you know, a bloody fucking mess. So, but I think this really adds to AEW's equity, like, as a brand. Like, that they are willing to put on a match like that. Like, they're going to deliver. Like, this isn't a hell in the cell like situation where they're going to show us all these great promo packages of all these legendary matches and then give us a match where they barely even touch the fucking cage. They Um, they don't even do the packages anymore. Now they just show all the new (laughs) ones and it's it's terrible. Yeah, because there's no way they can live up to them anymore, Uh right? Um, And that's definitely not the wrestler's fault. Don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, no, I I thought this was great. I, I don't want to see this all the time. No. I feel like you've got to save this for... You know, special occasions, big blood feuds. I mean, mm-hmm. like maybe a handful of times a year at the most. Um, uh, apparently, Domino's was pissed off. Because <laughs> I was wondering, I I was like, why. are there sponsors okay with this? Because it's pretty fucking gruesome, you know, what they're doing here. I mean, I know it's later on the show, um, so you can get away with a little mm-hmm. more. But there was someone fucking screenshot this. I guess they did the picture in picture, like right yep. after. I don't know if it was a picture or a picture, but I know right after Gage used the pizza cutter, you had a Domino's like commercial air with like, you know, them cutting the fucking pizza with the cutter. No, so people were I, like, I remember they- that exact moment where because yeah. he had the pizza cutter in hand. They go to picture in picture. There's him just raking fucking Jericho's forehead. And then there's the pizza getting cut. So it was I- picture in picture. Okay. Yeah, it was picture in picture. And I was I was making jokes. I was like, man, Domino's is probably that has no idea what's happening. <laughs> what? Well, because people were questioning whether or not Domino's knew uh-huh. like that spot was happening. Like if it was a, a, a was tie no in, you know, no like WWE does with like Jimmy John's or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, Domino, Domino's was not happy. And they actually did like a press release talking about like rethinking their partnership with AEW. So we'll see where that leads. I mean, well, anyway, but with your statement about like this only being a few times, uh, maybe a year, hopefully, I was getting concerned that like maybe AEW is doing way too many like no rules matches up until this point. And I was like, you know, if this doesn't deliver, then this is just going to be, you know, just, hey, another AEW death match. And it, because mm-hmm. it did, you know, I'm. I'm still excited for these types of matches to happen because they're able to do something different every single time. Well, and that's the but the the problem is like now uh, they need to really put like space these out. Yes, because the next time they do anything that has deathmatch in the name, mm-hmm. people are going to be expecting something like this caliber. And I don't think they can always deliver something like this. Mm-hmm. So at least not on TV. So they're going to need to pace them out a little. Um, 
and maybe reset people's expectations because I don't I don't know if they want to go this extreme <laughs> every time. So because you might start turning off a good portion of your fan base because this is definitely not for everyone. You know, like I said, giant blood feuds, you know, like the blow yes. off to a huge feud um, that it, where this really warrants the style of match. You know, on pay-per-view, something where you, you, you let people know what's about to happen beforehand. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, what? like, because it also it's dangerous as all hell. Like, uh-huh. I mean, there's glass shattering everywhere. And I'm sure some of that stuff is gimmick, but like the crowd isn't that far away. So <laughs> and you get worried with those light tubes, like people breathing uh-huh. that shit. I mean, and that should get in your eyes and everything. I don't know. And I don't know if you can gimmick a light tube. I don't know if that's a thing, but I mean, it's. I'm sure there's probably a way around it. Like, I guarantee you those pizza cutters are gimmicked. Uh-huh. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, still one hell of a spectacle. I'm glad that they pulled it off. I mean, especially all, after all the shit Jericho got from, like, taking that fucking bump off the cage. Um, you know, I, I felt like he really answered all his, like, doubters. Yes. Um, now, the one thing I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of, but it got over with the fucking crowd. So I guess I can't really complain too much was the fact that like Juventud Guerrera is like the next labor. And then like the stipulation is something as silly as like Jericho has to like hit a finish off the top rope to win the match. I was like, that that feels like a little bit of a letdown after this insane (laughs) match that he just crazy death match. It made me think like maybe this should have been, I don't know, the third or fourth labor yes uh, down the road rather than it being the second <laughs> yes yes because like what else can really live up to mm-hmm. this style of match um i mean Hoovy's fine i haven't seen him wrestle in probably over 10 15 years mm-hmm. um he's definitely like one of those like pioneers of the cruiserweight division from like back in the day um when he's on I mean, he was on and he I mean, he was white hot for a time. He's the first wrestler I ever saw do a fucking 450 splash. So, like I said, he's a fucking true pioneer. But I mean, he definitely had his lackluster matches at time. And he kind of had like this like reputation of, you know, at at times just kind of like phoning it in. Mm. So I'm wondering if we're going to get a more mature Juventude here. Uh, I was I didn't even know he was still wrestling, honestly. I mean, I guess the juice is back, though, Christian. So um, uh, have you seen Juventude wrestle? I have not. OK, um, definitely go and check out some of his matches, especially from the Nitro days, um, you know, before he took off the mask. Um, but like when he was white hot, like he was just under like that, like Rey Mysterio, like level gotcha. skill wise. Mm-hmm. And it felt like he could eventually get to that level, but he just never quite, you know, got there. Um, he had a great like feud with uh, with Jericho back in the day, and that's the reason why they're bringing it back. MJF even referenced it uh, back in the early days of AEW Dynamite, and then I, shit, fucking The Rock referenced it when Jericho debuted uh, on Raw. So I mean, it, it is a pretty legendary feud. Jericho eventually does take his mask. Spoilers, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean it. it, it Definitely, I, I believe you could check it out on the network right now. So you could watch the entire feud if you wanted to. Um, oh, it's yeah. well worth a watch. But as far as a match on Dynamite next week, eh, <laughs> it just feels a little lackluster after, you know, 
the, the massacre we got this week. Mm-hmm. Well, like always, we do have like most of the card or a good portion of the card for uh, next week's AEW Dynamite Homecoming. Um, it's every week there's there's a name. That, I mean, it's smart. Yep. It's smart marketing <laughs> on their part. So make these dynamites feel like a big deal. Um, what what do we have in store? Well, like we said, we have Chris Jericho versus Hooventude. Uh, we have the juice. Cr- the juice. <laughs> we have Christian Cage versus the Blade. Uh, we have the Bunny versus Layla Hurst. Uh, winner will become the number one contender for the NWA World Women's Championship. That's interesting. Uh, so I believe it's Camille. I might be getting her name wrong over on NWA who has the title right now. Um, she's never been on AEW TV. I'm wondering hmm. if they're if she's going to defend the title over an nwa if we're gonna actually see her like debut in aew so um I mean, she's pretty over so do you think they save this match for all out if Britt can't go uh possibly i mean it would be a good out for them if they needed some another women's championship match to happen but I, i'm hoping that Britt can by then you yeah know, thunder rosa versus Britt is just a great match and they, every time. they have an event in pittsburgh that's going to suck mm-hmm. if she exactly. can't wrestle there. So, because that's coming up, I believe, in the next couple of weeks. They've so. been advertising that so hard with her. So, yes. Yeah, that's going to really suck if she can't go. Um, mm. But we'll see. Um, all right, what else do we have? Uh, we also have Miro going up against Lee Johnson for the AEW TNT Championship. Most likely, Miro will hold on to it. Yes. <laughs> That'll be a squash <laughs> match. And then we have Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black. Yes, which will probably be the main event, honestly. And I I could see Black taking Cody out of commission Mm story-wise for a while so Cody can go shoot his TV show. So um, all in all, though, another stacked card. So, uh, you know, tune in next week as we'll probably break that down also. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, so next week we'll have a film review for A24's Grey Knight. And we'll also be covering the latest episode of The Bad Batch. And on the wrestling front, we'll be talking AEW Homecoming. But also, don't forget, we have a giveaway going on. That's right. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you're subscribing on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Because then you'll be entered to win your very own Blu-ray copy of A Quiet Place Part 2. Well, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Where are you gonna go? It's funny, my whole life I didn't think I had any family. Turns out I got two, so. One of them's a bit of a mess right now. I'm gonna go break a few of them out of prison. See if I can't help patch things up. <laughs> <laughs>